Hey everybody, great to be with you today. If you're joining us for the first time online, my name is Jason Wolliver. I'm the directing pastor here at Crossroads, and we are so glad that you have joined us. This is week seven in this fall message series, Practical, where we are going section by section through the book of James in the New Testament. And today we're in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. James writes this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, spirit of wisdom and revelation. And now speak to our hearts, strengthen us with power in our inner person through your word today. Reveal the wisdom from God to us that we might grow more and more like Jesus, our King. In his name, amen. So one of my most vivid memories from my elementary school years comes from the third grade when they were teaching us that ancient practice of writing in cursive. Now, I know writing in cursive is not as big of a deal as it used to be, but when I grew up, before the digital age, it was an essential life skill. And so we were in third grade, and on this day, they were introducing it to us, and the teacher, Mrs. Isabel, was having us practice writing our names in lowercase cursive only, all lowercase. Now, my mom had already taught me how to write my name in lowercase cursive. So I was feeling a little bit superior to the other kids. Since I already knew how to do it in all lowercase, I looked up at the board and the different cursive letters that were stapled to the strip of corkboard at the top of the blackboard, and I found the capital cursive letter that looked most like a regular uppercase J. And I started practicing writing my name with the first letter being capitalized. Well, Mrs. Isabel uh, walked around and was looking at our work to see how we were doing. When she got to me, this is what she saw, except not that neat, of course. And she said, Jason, what are you doing? I said, well, I already knew how to write my name in all lowercase cursive, so I decided to start writing with the uppercase cursive J because I already know how to do the other. She said, but Jason, that's not an uppercase cursive J. That's an uppercase cursive F. You've just written Faison all over your paper. Now, when I went home that night, I still didn't believe her. I thought she had to be the one that was wrong. So I showed my mom my writing page. I said, Mom, Miss Isabel says that this is an uppercase cursive F, but it can't be. It's just like a regular J with a line through it. She said, honey, Mrs. Isabel is right. 
You've just written Faison all over your writing page. Is that what you want to be called now? Faison? Well, that day I went through a variety of different emotions. I started out feeling superior to others because I knew more cursive than they did. And then I was embarrassed when my teacher pointed out that I might have done it wrong. Then I was feeling defiance and in denial. Finally, I humbled myself and acknowledged I was wrong. And since I had to learn to write my name in cursive, I better just learn it the way the teacher said we should. You know, we can probably all think of times when we've had similar experiences in life. When we learned that what we thought was true, what we thought was right, was in fact off base and not true or not right. In those moments, we have two options. We can either dig in our heels harder and defend what we now know is probably not accurate, or we can humble ourselves and begin again. In the first century, there were some among the Romans and the Jewish people who were considered the wise and understanding among the people. If you were Roman and you were considered wise and understanding, it probably meant that you were more highly educated than other Roman citizens and that you'd been trained in the writings of the great philosophers. And you probably spent time with others debating philosophy and other ideas. And you were seen as an intellectual among the people. If you were wise and understanding among the Jewish people, it meant you probably had spent a lot of time dedicating yourself to learning the intricacies of the Jewish law beyond what normal people would have learned. You were probably a Pharisee or a Sadducee, and you may have even dressed differently than other people to show your special status as a wise and understanding religious person of the day. When Jesus came, he taught a path that called into question all that these wise and understanding people had built their thinking on. He taught that the kingdom of God could not be discovered through human or worldly wisdom. It could only come through repentance and faith in him. One time he said in Matthew chapter 11, I praise you God, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, for such was your gracious will. People who were very educated and had lofty ideas and training, they often missed the teaching of the kingdom. And those who were simple and humble found it. And that's how God chose to reveal himself. Now later, the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 3, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. He's saying if you think you're wise, but you have not built your life on the message of Jesus, the crucified Son of God. And if you think that that is foolish from a worldly point of view, then you better become a fool and accept salvation in Jesus and then relearn wisdom on that new foundation. Now throughout scripture, God continually calls all of us and summons all of us to pursue a life of wisdom and understanding. And the good news is that some of those who are wise and understanding in Jesus' day actually did eventually humble themselves and begin again, rebuilding their thinking on the gospel 
of Jesus. And at any time, you and I are welcome to humble ourselves before Jesus and to begin again and start over building our lives on the wisdom of God as well. Our passage for today comes from James chapter 3, and it's written to the wise and understanding within the church community. That is, those who had decided to pursue a life of godly wisdom and were relearning what that was now that they had the truth of the gospel of Jesus as their foundation. And this is who he's speaking to, those who are seeking wisdom within the community. Verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here, James starts off by telling those who are pursuing wisdom some very important information. First, he says, real wisdom and understanding will result in good conduct. Just as faith is meant to result in a life of action, real wisdom will result in a life of good conduct, good behavior with others. It won't just give you intellectual knowledge to make you feel superior to others. It won't make you an intellectual snob. It'll make you a humble servant of others. And other people will be able to see from your good conduct that you understand the wisdom of God. He also says that this will make itself known through the meekness of wisdom. The word meekness means gentleness in spirit. It's having yourself completely under control, submitted to God. And wisdom will always make us gentler people. It'll make us meeker people. If you're operating from God's wisdom, you're never going to become more caustic or rash or abrasive. No, wisdom is shown in meekness and good conduct and wise living. Then James compares earthly wisdom to God's wisdom so that we will know the difference. He starts off by explaining what earthly wisdom looks like so that we'll be able to identify it when we see it and then we can move beyond it. He says in verses 14 through 16, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Here James is calling out a lot of what the world considers wisdom. It's driven by bitterness, he says, by jealousy of others and selfish ambition, the desire to get ahead of others. And we see this, we're absorbed in this every single day of our lives from the world around us. Business advice, personal advice, career advice, achievement advice. It's wisdom about how to get ahead of others how to make a name for yourself, how to stand out, how to get ahead and stay ahead, how to crush the competition. And James says that's earthly wisdom. It's from below. It's as if this earth is all there is. It's survival of the fittest, natural selection. It doesn't make any reference to the heavenly reality. He says this is earthly, unspiritual, meaning this kind of wisdom about how to get ahead and driven by jealousy, And how to feed that, that is not spiritual. It's based on human reasoning and a scarcity mindset. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit speaking through the scriptures, the word of God to our spirit. And he says it's even demonic. 
James, like the other New Testament writers, believed that Satan and his demons were very real spiritual beings and forces at work all around us in the world. He says, if you're driven by jealousy, covetousness, selfish ambition to leave others behind, he said, understand that you are being motivated by forces far worse than you could ever imagine, demonic forces even. And he says that these things lead to disorder and every vile practice. And again, this is observable in the world around us. Often those who will do anything to get ahead and stay ahead are exposed for corruptions and all kinds of shadiness and dishonesty and bad behavior and even ruined relationships. And I would encourage you to take some time this afternoon and make a list of the top five billionaires or celebrity actors, musicians, athletes, the top five of these kind of people who have a personal life that you would like to emulate, that have a family life that you find appealing. I can't think of one of these people who's achieved so much that has a family life that I would want for myself, that has a relational track record that I would want for myself. So their advice on how to crush the competition, how to beat the others, it may work for getting ahead in the field or getting ahead in some competition, but it's not going to help you in the most important things of life, leading a good and godly and virtuous life and loving those whom you share life with. But this is not a text written so that we can be critical of other people and judge other people. This is a much harder text than this than that this is a text written so that we can look at ourselves and evaluate ourselves look at what he says in verse 14 but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth he's speaking again as he has in previous parts of his book about the fallacy of self-deception that we fall into as human beings. We deceive ourselves. We're not even aware of what's motivating us. When Pastor Sarah Wank was here, she introduced me to this concept that I've since read about in many places. It's called the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error. Patrick Lencioni explains it this way. The fundamental attribution error is the tendency of human beings to attribute the negative or frustrating behaviors of others to their intentions or their personalities, while attributing our own negative or frustrating behaviors to environmental factors. So this means that we look at other people's behaviors and we assume that we know what's going on in their hearts, and we judge them as bad people or flawed people if they make a mistake. Whereas we make a mistake, we say, well, I'm a good person, but these factors made me act that way. It's out of my control. Or we mess up and I say, we say, I just messed up. Whereas we look at them and we say, they messed up because they are messed up. The better alternative to any of that is to assume that other people's motives are at least as good as our own. And that we aren't better or superior to them. And instead to judge our own hearts as James is calling us to do. Let God judge other people's hearts. 
You know, we can say certain behaviors are clearly not aligned with God's will, but we don't know what's inside a person because truthfully, we hardly ever know even what's motivating us. And so James or Jesus would say, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? But do not notice the log in your own eye. That's hypocritical. Work on taking the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to help your neighbor become the person that they're created to be. But then James describes the kind of wisdom that God wants us to pursue. And that's wisdom from above. So remember, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Like, if we ask for God for wisdom, and we believe he's going to give it to us, he will give it to us. So how do we know if wisdom is from God or from the world? Well, we've already looked at worldly wisdom. This is what God's wisdom looks like. Verse 17, he says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. When he says it's pure, in this context, he's not talking so much about sexual purity. He's talking about moral intention, having pure motives, love for God and wanting the best for others, sincerity of heart. When he says wisdom is peaceable, gentle, and open to reason, he's describing the very kind of wisdom that was personified in Jesus Christ himself. He may have even had this passage from Matthew 11 in mind as he described what this wisdom looked like. Remember what Jesus said there? He said, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes, the wisdom that Jesus had made him gentle, humble in heart, even as he continued to speak the truth, even as he continued to hold fast to his purposes and priorities. He maintained meekness, gentleness, self-control from wisdom. Paul told Timothy that God expects all of his servants to act in this wise way toward other people. He said in 2 Timothy 2, 24-25, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. James says that this wisdom from above results in a person being full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And here he's hearkening back to some other things that he's already spoken of, like in chapter 2. Being full of mercy means being kind to those who can't help themselves, looking out for those who don't have their basic needs met, and the orphans and widows, showing mercy to them. And being full of good fruits means putting your faith into action through radical obedience and inconvenient kindness and true allegiance to God and not the world. Being impartial means we don't show favoritism toward the wealthy or powerful people among us, but we treat the normal people and we treat the poor people as equally valuable. And being sincere, again, it's about having a lack of deceitfulness and duplicity about us. He closes this section in verse 18 by saying, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here James is reminding those who seek to grow in wisdom that planting and harvesting happen at different times. In farming, you usually plant in the spring. You harvest in the fall. But there's a growing season in between. 
Likewise, if we want to live a wise life and become peaceful, gentle, meek people whose conduct reflects that, we're going to have to keep sowing seeds every day to become that kind of person. Because whatever your life looks like now, it's the result of all the seeds that were sown into it in previous days, months, and years. So if you want your life to reflect a new kind of wisdom, you've got to daily invest in that wisdom in God. So let's talk about some applications for this section about wisdom. Number one is seek wisdom daily. Pursue wisdom daily. We're bombarded with worldly wisdom all around us every single day, teaching us how to get ahead, stay ahead, feed our covetousness. And so we have to make a sincere effort if we want to grow wise by God's standards. It says in Proverbs 17:24, sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. It takes diligence to grow in God's wisdom. And that's why God has given us the word of God. You know, my favorite practice in the daily pursuit of wisdom is reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. I read about other people doing this when I was younger, and it really has been a life-giving practice for me. Proverbs is one of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, and there's 31 chapters, one for each day of the uh, monthly calendar. I remember Billy Graham used to say that he would read a chapter of Proverbs and five chapters of Psalms each day, and he'd get through both every single month. I think it's a great practice. I've been doing it for years. Take a Bible that you like, that you can understand the translation, and every day read the chapter of Proverbs that goes with that calendar day. Underline the Proverbs that stand out to you, and every month you'll refresh yourself again. Week after week, month after month, year after year, you're sowing seeds of wisdom. And then the wisdom of the Proverbs, God's wisdom, will sink into your way of thinking. You also need to make sure that you pray for wisdom regularly. It says in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. We need to be praying regularly for wisdom. And we also need to be hanging out with people who are pursuing God's understanding of the good life rather than pursuing selfish ambition and vain conceit and jealousy. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And we also have to understand that if we're pursuing God's understanding of the wise life rather than worldly standards, we're going to probably look foolish in the eyes of those who are pursuing the things of the world. The old philosopher Epictetus said, if you want to make progress in wisdom, then let people think you are a hopeless fool when it comes to the kind of external things that they care about. It's a good thought. If you want to be a wise person and have gentleness and peacefulness about you as God wants you to have, you have to sometimes put up with other people thinking that you're foolish for not pursuing what they're pursuing. Number two is check your motives frequently. Check your motives frequently. Uh, 20 years ago, when I was doing youth ministry, there was a book that came out. It was written by Rick Warren's youth pastor at Saddleback. His name was Doug Fields. And the book was called Your First Two Years in Youth Ministry. And in the book, he gave 10 commandments for those beginning in youth ministry. And one of them was give yourself a regular heart check. And he bases it on Proverbs 4, verse 23, that says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
we need to constantly ask ourselves, why do I feel the need to do this? Why do I feel the need to acquire this thing or take this promotion or make this person like me? What's driving me? We need to let God examine other people's hearts. That's not our job. We need to ask God to help us see what's motivating us. We need to be wise and pray what David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If our hearts are just a little bit off course, we're going to end up in a very different place than if we're asking God to probe our hearts and repenting of the things that are not of God that lie within us. And number three, we need to sow good seeds continually. Again, your life today is the result of the decisions that you made and the seeds that you sowed in days, weeks, months, and years leading up to today. It's never too late to start doing the right thing or to start at the beginning. To admit that there's certain things that you need to change. And so if you today start pursuing the wisdom of God, humbling yourself and admitting where you were wrong and need to course correct, a year from now, your life will look very different. And so we want to sow good seeds continually, day after day. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you always give us a chance to humble ourselves and start again in areas where we need to. I pray that you would speak peace to us and help us to have a hunger for the wisdom that is from above. Help us to keep our eyes glued on that wisdom. Holy Spirit, awaken us to this better way of life. And now, Lord, we pray the prayer that you taught us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.